All right. Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you that helps you grow your wealth, to help you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner Hari. Hello. All right. Uh, let's get started. This is the second um, episode of the L Brand. We are talking about financials, the management, and valuation in this episode. Oh yeah. I am uh, told by one of our friends to look up to the camera. So I'm looking at you guys. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's get started. Uh, actually, before we do, Hari, can you give us a quick disclaimer? Um, yeah. Um, so this is a, a value investor podcast that we try and educate you on how value investors would analyze businesses and make uh, decisions uh, you know, based on that analysis. Um, you know, we don't know your specific financial situation, nor are we a financial advisor. So we would encourage you to, uh, talk with your financial advisor if you want to make any, uh, you know, in, uh, investment decisions. Excellent. Uh, all right, let's get started. Um, before we move on, actually, though, if you haven't listened to the first episode, please do, because this is a continuation of that podcast. Uh, this is episode two for L Brands. So let's dive into it. Um, the financials. The first question is, actually, before we do that, um, the question before that is, is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? And the last episode, we kind of decided that you know the moat is really not that present for this company. So can you maybe shine, some, shine more light on this question, Hari? Is the company able to translate its moat, albeit small or albeit absent, <laughs> into high returns on capital? So he, here is the problem that you're going to encounter when you look at this. They're, they have actually negative ec equity on the shareholder equity side. So their, what? their liability is greater than their assets, uh, which is not, you know, isn't not illegal or anything like that. But it <laughs> is they have too much debt. And so that creates, uh, you know, uh, the value of their assets are, um, you know, don't exceed the 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 amount of debt that they they carry, and so mm -hmm. it creates a. How do you how do you measure the return on that? Um, so, for right now, we're going to punt on that question because it's problematic, right? If you buy these shares, you're essentially saying, "I'm getting negative value." Like I actually owe more money to even yeah get to break even. So, yeah, can you? Um, I guess before we move on, can you get can you just like run through? Um, their balance sheet, maybe outstanding kind of balance sheet, like cash and yeah. So they have um on their. I, I'm going to actually just uh, focus here on the debt level because okay. that 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 is really the the entire story. Okay. I mean, their asset base is um eight eight point nine eight point oh billion for 2018. Liabilities was eight. Uh, 0.7 billion. So an egg, a shareholder's equity of negative 869. I see. That's um, total liability and total assets. Yeah. Okay. And um, on the on the debt side, long term debt side, they have 5.1 billion, um, of which 2.5 is due um, by 2023. Oh. And the remaining is due uh, after 2027. So 2.4 mm. billion. So. The, the number isn't as daunting as it looks and they do have, you know, I, I, I don't have the cash number in front of me. I, it's a, it's over a billion. Mm. Um, if I remember correctly, but you know, in 
2020, they have 330 million. 2021, 780 million. 2022, 950 million. 2023, 500 million. So none of these are insurmountable. But I think what's more concerning is that um, if they are unable to, you know, refinance this because their operating income continues to drop, um, that creates some of their, you know, there'll be some problems that they'll encounter with, you know, banks and other things. So mm-hmm. what I would say is looking at a, a company like this and looking at their, their balance sheet, it's hard to ignore this debt level, right? right. And so I, I, you know, in the interest of the educational part of this, I'd like to kind of focus more on that than, you know, you know, how, how are they going to, you know, continue to run their business? Sure. With You have a negative equity balance. How are you going to resolve some of this, you know, this debt? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think the other the the other part of this that that is concerning is, you know, they have to pay four hundred million dollars almost in just in interest expenses, so um, per year, right? So for a company that has an operating income, you know, of four hundred million for the Victoria's Secret line, right? You basically are wiping Victoria's Secret as a net negative mm-hmm. or net net neutral, neutral you know, yeah. just because of your debt level. Right, so when you look at that, you really wonder what are what are they thinking about when they took on all of this debt? Because in mm. 2011 they had about 2.5 billion, and they had about um, you know 1.1 and billion in free cash flow. That number is now you know significantly decreased because of this operating income decline, and the net income is is almost a dollar thirty cents is being hit just by this interest expense. Yeah, that's so you, pretty crazy. You're just sending a dollar 37 away of every share, you know, every year just to pay interest expense. Mm-hmm. That's not even the principal. That's just the expense the interest, right. right? So Yeah, like you mentioned like the the debt financing, it's usually I mean, I think this is a good opportunity for education like you said is when the companies are operating and you know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll refinance the debt. And and refinancing the debt can be done in a favorable terms for the company if the operating income and net income is is growing and they have a lot of asset base. But if the operating income and net income is on the decline, banks will point out and say, hey, look, you guys are not growing. And we find that this is a huge risk for us to loan this much money to you guys. We're going to charge you know, a higher interest rate, for example. And so refinancing the debt to, with a higher interest rate is going to really hurt the company. If they can't, if they can't pay the principal, you know, in in, a, in the due time. So, um, anything else you want to mention in terms of the kind of the debt level and the finances? Yeah. So I, I think one one thing to say because we when, whenever we look at this, we we talk about cash flow, right? Yep. And what does the free cash flow kind of look like? Sure. Um, so, you know, they had in 2016. Net cash flow from operations was 1.9 billion. Depreciation, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, you know, so free cash flow. So after cash flow from, uh, uh, excuse me, for after capital expenditures, they had about a billion dollars in free cash flow, 990 million. Mm. That number on 2018 is now 600 million. So, you know, they they essentially lost. 40% of that free cash flow over a two year period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the concerning thing is, is that at a billion dollars in free cash flow, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. You have five years, five and a half years of, you know, that free cash flow to debt, right? 
to pay off or mm-hmm. debt to free cash flow. It, it was about five, right? I would like to see that at less than three, right. you know, three or less. Right. Um, but now when it's 600 million and it's 5.7 billion, it's eight years, right? And mm-hmm. that number is next year. Is that number going to be lower? Is it going to be, right. you know, <laughs> is it going to be higher? Yeah. Uh, that, that is concerning to me. Right. And so, yep. You know, I, I think this may be the first company that we've talked about that has a high debt burden, right? Mm-hmm. And that debt burden is something that is is hurting every investor who puts their money down here, yeah. right? You're going to be spending a lot on the interest expense. Your cash flow is not guaranteed anymore. So what do you do? You know, um, can you stop this hemorrhage? And then, then you got to get your financial house in order. Right. What does, you know, a lot of times what people will do in this case, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll just dilute themselves and just share a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of shares, you know, issue a whole bunch of shares in the public market. And with that proceeds, they'll try to pay down the debt or something like that. What has been the number of shares outstanding? What, what, what's that picture look like? Well, they've been buying back shares over time, you know, and, you know, it, it like many companies, it peaked in 2015 uh, and has been slowly, you know, on the decline. I think it's down to 270 million now number of shares yeah 280 million 279 so they've been buying back shares huh yeah so they actually spent quite a bit on dividends and share buybacks the last few years so Mm. you know one of the problems that i have with this is you know we always talk about capital allocation and how do you manage that right and you know we're kind of bleeding in now into our management discussion sure right um if you're going to spend money when you have all of this debt burden, the answer I would ask is why, right? Why are you putting money into this? You're saying you're going to try and grow. You're trying to do this stuff. I, I'm I'm spending a you know a dollar is coming out of my pocket for every share that I own, dollar thirty that um, because you guys are you know have a heavy debt load, mm-hmm. right? So get rid of that, and then I get an extra immediately get more money in my pocket. Um, you know that to me is very concerning um, because I think buying back, paying a dividend is a worthless exercise. Now yeah. they've paired that back, but why didn't you notice this before, right? Um, and you know the thing is now, you know, so in 2018 they paid 666 million in dividends and repurchased uh, 196 million in stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is 800 million that you could have used to pay down your your debt, right? Yeah. And I would have much rather seen that. Uh, happened um and then you, your your debt levels look a lot more manageable at that point yeah mm-hmm. this is really crazy um you know debt is something that really kills the company right that's one of the things that we look at if they have a lot of debt that's like the only way to go bankrupt right if you have yeah. a lot of debt if you don't yeah. have a lot of debt well if you have zero debt for example even if the company's suffering you're never going to go bankrupt right you can always kind of move around nimbly if you're not burdened by the debt load especially of this magnitude, you right. know? And I just wonder, like we talked about in the first episode, like I mentioned, I wonder what their incentive management, you know, is. Because if it's very much short-termism, then, you know, this, this you know, despite, despite the, you know, despite all the negativity that comes from it, I guess it sort of makes sense why the management is behaving this way. So maybe can you shine some light on on that like how our incentive structure look like for management so, so that's the funny thing about this is the the ceo and chairman of the company has a ton of shares um 
and has been at the company since its founding in 1963. Oh, wow. So Leslie Wexner is a... Uh, you know, has been there for over 50 years now. Mm. Um, he's in his eighties and his, his performance has actually, you know, you can imagine, uh, they've tied it like most businesses to operating income, which is mm. not wrong. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, the problem is, is that if you don't tie it to net income in this case, then you can load up on debt <laughs> and not really see the, exactly you know, the benefit from operating income isn't getting hurt. Right. So the way that they've done it is they've said 55% of his um, performance, and this actually includes a bunch of other management too, the CFO, COO, and so on. Mm-hmm. 55% is tied to Victoria's Secret operating income, 30% tied to Bath & Body Works operating income, mm. 15% other operating income, and to- the remaining 20% is the total L Brands operating income. So uh, those numbers... It's 80% of major band performance and 20% other uh, performance. Mm. So um, yeah. I, I find this interesting, right, that they're, they're using these metrics. I think they're good metrics, actually, and I have nothing wrong with them. Yeah. But, you know, why hasn't they, why, what, what is the CFO doing, right, that they're loading up on debt? They've doubled their debt load from 2011 to, to now, almost, you know, two and a half times. Uh, and yeah. and this is what you're you're seeing, right? Is and and so the guy's salary, Wexner's salary, has come down significantly since 2014 because the operating income performance has been so bad. Interesting. So, just for you guys, just so you guys know, operating income is also synonymous with EBIT, E B I T. It's a uh, it's an acronym. That's that stands for earnings before interest and tax. That's why EBIT might not be the best measurement like measure stick for this for this for these guys because it's earnings before interest and tax and when interest is at 400 million dollars every single year and you're taking away dollars something from the earnings right because of the interest payments like like Harry mentioned EBIT although it's a great measurement for a lot of companies for companies that have just huge debt load um, EBIT might not be the might not it has to be complemented with you know net income of some sort um, just to take into account the interest interest uh, expenses, also the debt load here. Is there anything you want to mention, Hari, in terms of anything else you want to mention in terms of the management before we go on to valuation? Well, you know, I, I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, typically we are very excited by companies that have their original founder running the business, right? That usually means that interests are aligned with the shareholder. They want to make sure that they've succeeded, you know, the problem that I have with this company is, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not going to blame this that the guy is senile or something <laughs> like that, but I, I mean, he's in his 80s um, and doesn't seem to want to, you know, has is kind of the last few years, maybe he's got a lot of people who are yes men who are mm-hmm. just saying, yeah, if we take on debt, you know, we can really grow this company fast or or whatever. But, you know, he's the CEO, he's the chairman of the board, I don't see a whole lot of oversight into what is going to happen. I don't think they would remove him. He's been there for too long. So really, how how are you going to steer this ship differently if you were a shareholder, right? You don't really have much of a say. Um, an activist investor can't, you know, come in and kind of try and, you know, shake things up. You know, that to me is a, is a, is a, is a clear problem. Now, I don't think that the management is not honest about their mistakes. I mean, they've been, they were fairly 
clear about what was wrong, but I just don't see any credibility in the plan to change it. Right. Mm. That's, that's my bigger concern. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like you mentioned, we love companies that are owned and operated by founded and operated by, um, the founders, but, um, this certainly is an exception. Yeah. To that rule. Um, let, let's move on to valuation. Shall we? Harry? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there a significant margin of safety? That's the first question under valuation. Yeah, so let's. I'll give you my assumptions. Um, I looked at cash flow of seven hundred and fifty million, um, which I I've did some adjustment to get to that number. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at. I, I gave them a growth rate that I problem is probably too generous. Actually, I you know I said that they would continue to grow at five percent, um, which I just don't think that they can. You know, mm-hmm. given that they're they're actually losing money at this point. Yeah. And, you know, so for the next 10 years that they would continue to grow at 5%. So essentially a little bit above inflation Mm -hmm. discount rate always is 10%. Um, they had 279 million shares outstanding and then including their debt level of $5.74 billion. So what I got out of that was a intrinsic value of $19 a share and a margin of safety of $9 a share. So, 960. So here's the thing about that, right? Which is why you don't, you know, this is a formula, right? There are other questions that we have to ask ourselves. Um, and you know, Becco, if you want to, you know, say those as part of the checklist, I think that actually will color why, you know, these numbers I think are meaningless in, in some ways. So, sure. So the subsequent questions here we have under valuation is, Number one, can I reasonably estimate cash flows into the future given what I know about the business? The second question after that is, is it possible that the downside risk here is unknowable and does margin of safety provide an asymmetrical uh, risk-reward ratio? Yeah, so those two questions are really asking the thing is, is is this something that's stable, right, that I can even understand what's going on? Well, their earnings... On the cash flow side, I'm sorry, free cash flow has dropped 40% in two years. Are you comfortable with estimating into the future what uh, what those cash flows are going to be? I, I'm not. I you know I'm I'm certainly not comfortable with that um, that measurement. And you know, and the second question is there is there a downside risk here that's unknowable? I I think the downside risk here is 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 scary honestly right yeah. it, it could be uh it's quite scary could potentially be a you know debt burden that's un unsustainable uh leading to bankruptcy you know as they continue to try to keep these two companies together you know it may be more and more difficult to get a good favorable price you know for one or the other right or if they try and spin it off it may not be a you know they may not get what they want out of it so yeah, I, I I would say you know, even though we've put the, together these numbers, you know, at what price would you feel comfortable? What margin of safety would you feel comfortable, you know, to to be okay with this? I mean, I I don't m- adjust that number. I say fifty percent, right? But I'm not comfortable with the growth rates that I'm estimating. Should I be putting a negative growth rate into this, you know, uh, assessment? You know, in which case the number may be zero, right? That I I would have yeah. to be paying pennies to get you know to be comfortable with buying this stock yeah yeah 
There's really a lot of unknowns here, and it is you know, projecting out to the future for a company like this that you, that's kind of unstable in terms of you know management and the debt level and things like that. Everything that we talked about and declining the sales and and all those things in the first episode. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, I feel very uncomfortable, um, even if the the price is nine, because uh, again, here's here's another perspective. You know, what what is the you know, you're, you're losing on the opportunity, right? Opportunity to invest in other things. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to invest in something like this versus some other things that are, that didn't have any of these problems and is growing healthily and the balance sheet looks very healthy, all those things, um, you know, what is your opportunity cost there, right? Yeah, so I think there's a, you know, we've, you know, one of our, um, one of the feedback that we got uh, was someone was asking, can you, talk about these companies in reference to some of the great books that we had mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts, right? And, you know, this kind of falls into a weird value trap kind of group, mm. right? Uh, this is certainly not a Peter Lynch, you know, growth at a fair price or, or a, you know, growth at a reasonable price. This is certainly not, you know, something that Buffett or Munger would talk about as far as it's not a cigar butt, you know, cause it, it, it has negative equity. Um, you know, there's, there's not a, there's what I would be concerned about is am I catching a falling knife, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that this thing is on its way down. I'm going to catch it and it's going to, I'm going to grab the knife, you know, the blade end of the knife, uh, as it's going. What I would be very interested in seeing is them spinning off bath and body works. And I would be all over that, you know, yeah. I'd be all over a spinoff here. Um, and so, you know, we we haven't talked much about spinoffs, but um, that is the way to unlock shareholder value uh, here is to spin this business off mm -hmm. the Bath and Body Works side and let that continue to ride on its own uh, and then keep Victoria's Secret, you know, as yeah. the primary focus for one management team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Bath and, Bath and Body Works, liberate them from debt low, liberate them from uh, the incompetence of perhaps management here. And they could, they could, they could fly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, anything else you want to add before we close out, Hari? So you know, I, I think we've mentioned this a little bit before, but you know, it is valuable to read up on companies, even if you know going into it that you may not be investing in it, right? Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a kind of a, you know academic exercise or something like that, that you're just reading these things just to learn and stuff like that. But I, I will tell you all learning is cumulative in investing. You, you learn about businesses, you apply that knowledge, something that you find out randomly in one company, um, helps you understand another business. Um, the more you do this, the better you get at it, right? What we are trying to teach you is to learn how to do this for yourself, right? Becco and I are not going to be holding your hand 20 years from now, uh, you know, in doing this stuff, I mean, maybe the podcast will be there to, to help you, but you guys have to find your own businesses, um, and, and really understand them. That's what we're trying to, to help you do is walk through this process, use a, a checklist. So I would encourage you to, to do that and to read your own annual report and maybe set a, set a target for yourself. Read one of these a week, um, you know, for a year and, and just see that it's really not that difficult right i mean you know becco how, how long did you do you think it took you to really read up on a company like this i would say um i would say 
if you really dedicate yourself three months to six months, you can really get a good, good grasp on kind of the concept. And just reading an annual report itself, once you have those concepts, it probably takes you, if you do a deep dive, it probably takes you like somewhere between three to six hours. But if you kind of cursory look and try to understand just the basics, it probably takes you probably two to three hours. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, for me, two to three hours is when I find out is it a go or no go? And then I do more research, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes that's even in an hour. Right. Yeah. But I think the value of doing that is the more you do this, the more you find, you know, that you're able to filter these things quicker. You're able to, you know, understand them better. And then you have a knowledge base that, Oh, I read about that company a couple of years ago. Um, and I'll just, now I'm updating myself on, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I can tell you now after doing this for so long that almost every company is, I have some knowledge of, I may not have a deep knowledge of it, but then when I come back to it, I'm, I'm refreshing myself. I'm seeing that I can go back and refer to notes that I uh, may have taken, um, and see how things have changed over time. But this is an incredibly, you know, valuable thing. And, you know, the 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 thing that's crazy to me is if i went and saw you know went to a clinic and worked for 2 hours right and i did this 30 years from now it would be about the same amount of money you know relative to inflation that i would get but when i have $100 now and i have 100 times that in you know in in 20 years it's the same amount of time that it takes for me to make the investment decision, right? This thing scales infinitely, right? The more money I have, the more money I can invest and make, you know, going forward. So Mm -hmm. spending your time learning this stuff is really, really valuable. And then you will find when you have more money to invest that it doesn't take more time to do that. You just now have the knowledge base that's built up. So start now when you don't have money and start growing your wealth. And then when you do, then you can actually use it effectively. Couldn't agree with you more on that, Hari. I think it takes time. And also, I am a bit impatient at times. I just like to get down and learn the thing and then move on. But this is a lifelong exercise that I found. You know, and I think uh, time is your friend in, in value investing, whether it, whether it be investing it in itself or learning about investing. Um, so I think uh, start early and just continue to do it. Um, for for a long time and you'll build that build that knowledge base like like Hari talked about. Yep. All right guys, thank you guys for listening. Uh this was very interesting El Brands. Um thank you Hari for leading the conversation. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank yeah. you. Thanks.